Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field. Well, guys, we didn't do it. We didn't break the record for the coldest April. We missed it by one degree. But it was the second coldest April on record. If you can't remember an April this cold, that's because the coldest one on record was in 1907. So, quite a while ago. Well, the forecast for a cold night last Saturday night ended up not being fake news. Temperatures from here at Hayworth North it took a hard dip between 2.30 and 5.30 in the morning. By 6.30, we were back above 30 degrees. We had a number of reports come in at 23 degrees, 24 degrees, a bunch at 26 degrees. Kale Farms at Melvin, Illinois sent us a picture of their donkey water froze over enough that blackbirds could walk across it. Yes, you heard me right, donkey water. Not sure how you make money raising donkeys, but if anyone can figure it out, Gary could. If we have any freeze damage to crops, it'll be very obvious by Monday or Tuesday. This corn is just popping, so are the beans, and we're going to have a lot of stuff up. Our early beans and corn will be emerging the first, of course, and the, looking for strong stands. But if you're missing stand in the low-lying areas, be looking for possible freeze damage. The beans will basically wilt right around the arch area and won't make it up. It'll look like they have seedling blight, but up at the top of the arch. The corn will start leafing out underground if it's had some freeze damage. Typically, we would be leafing out underground without a crust, which you typically would see corn leafing out when it's pushing against a crust. You'll find freeze-damaged corn will leaf out without the crust, and if it's freeze-damaged corn, it won't do any good to hoe it. So, again, if you see the lower-lying areas and you can't row corn in there, your pest boss needs to go out, investigate, make sure we're not dealing with some freeze damage that we need to fix. Now, for the most part, I think the corn and beans that were close enough to the surface to be at risk are basically to the south. We don't have a lot of corn at that stage from Hayworth North, and that's Hayworth North is where the coldest temperatures were. So I expect it will be in pretty good shape, but don't take it for granted. With that said, be sure to check your low-lying areas for you guys in the south. Wheat is a little different. I've had a number of calls uh, about some tougher looking wheat, but freeze damage on wheat is hard to diagnose. And from here north, we want to watch those wheat fields and make sure it's just frost damage and not freeze damage. Freeze damage tends to take out some of the heads on the tillers. So you can have leaf scalding and not be a big deal, um, but if you have freeze damage and took out some of those heads, it is going to... Uh, it is going to hold those wheat yields back because we need the heads. We need so many heads per square foot. The best way to, to check for freeze damage in wheat is to take the stems uh, on the tillers and split them open and go in there and look at the head itself, see if the turgor pressure is still there and whether the color, the color should be a light yellow color. If they're tan or off color or lost their turgor pressure, they have freeze damage to it. And it's good to know. So we count out how many tillers have damage versus those that uh, don't have damage. And it give you a, kind of a, an idea what the percent damage would be. You can't fix freeze damage. But if it's bad enough, you may want to bail out of the wheat and go to corn in those acres uh, while you have a chance now to plant the corn. We'll have some plants coming in today and tomorrow into the office uh, that we'll look at tonight or in the morning. 
uh, for you. So um, you can also do it with a good hand lens. We tend to do it with a microscope hooked to a computer to look at them. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're going to quit the wheat, but it does maybe give you a realistic uh, approach for how much wheat is out there. So it's better to know you have 50, 55 bushel wheat coming than plan on 100 and only get 50 bushel. Where did all the water go? High winds, high temperatures, low humidity, changed our soil moisture in a hurry. Talking with a number of growers who had to stop planting corn and beans because they couldn't get to moisture. Stopping was the right move. It's nothing tougher than trying trying to deal with corn plant in dry conditions. Probably the most difficult service call to make as an agronomist is in a field that's out of water up to the point where germination is being challenged. There's not much you can do. You can't spray what's up and replant because the stuff that didn't germinate is still going to come. You can't tear out the stuff with a field cultivator, again, because you're not going to take out the stuff that uh, isn't germinated yet. And if you don't have water to germinate what's there, working it and trying to replant it without water is a lost cause. The only thing you can do is sit there and wait for that moisture to come through. So again, planting into dry soil, especially when it comes to corn, is just uh, it's got too many hazards with it. Now, with that said, most areas have received some rain, so it'll help. One thing to watch for though, a lot of areas like here at Hayworth, uh, is we didn't get much rain, just a few tents. And with a few tents, this is not enough water to make the water fronts in your soil meet. You guys that are irrigating know what I mean when I say that your water fronts should meet. When we're irrigating, we try to apply enough water that your surface water meets your groundwater uh, and you uh, bring the water fronts together. If your water fronts come together, then you have the uh, event of adhesion and cohesion that keeps moisture wicking to the surface. Without enough rain to bring the water fronts together, this moisture will be pulled back out of the soil very quickly. So on those fields that did get some moisture, but not enough, we need to jump on them and when we go back in as soon as we can. Uh, they're going to dry out quicker than you think. So when we go back to those fields, we do need to increase our down pressure on our row units. And what we're trying to do here is to keep a true V trench. Typically, we say only enough down pressure to maintain depth. In these dry situations, you may have to increase that because you want to hold that true V so you can get the seed in there and then close it from the bottom up. Again, making sure that your depth wheels uh, are tight against your disc openers. So we got to shim them in if they're not. You can't allow dry soil to flow between your depth wheels and your disc openers and pour into the trench on top of the seed. Assuming again, if you've done your planter setup right, you've got that taken care of. So we need tight depth wheels against the disc openers. I would increase the downforce in that row unit to get you a true V trench. Uh, another way to check that, of course, is just to tie up a closing wheel and see if you're holding that dry soil at the surface and not letting it fall in on the seed. Then, of course, you need those closing wheels centered uh, behind that planter and you need to increase your tail pressure. So you firm that soil around that seed to conserve the moisture that you have. We've talked about this before in other clinics, but you do a cross section of your furrow and from the bottom of your depth or your closing wheels to the seed, that soil should stand up. You should have enough pressure on that seed firm enough that you can 
have a straight wall there. If it continues to slough off or fall into the trench as you're trying to do your cross section, you need to increase your tail pressure. You can't let this moisture get away from us before we get back in there. We've had a 20-day stretch without rain. A lot of herbicide was applied and a lot of fields got planted in that time frame. That means herbicides uh, were not rained in. We need rain to both activate and incorporate and disperse these herbicides. Fields that were not incorporated before planting may have weeds in the row. If we move the soil we, or the residue, we may have moved the herbicide. In no-till fields, we may not have moved the soil, only the residue, but the herbicide was on the residue if we didn't have rain and we moved the herbicide away. So again, when we moved the herbicide, we're going to have weeds in a row. So let's keep this in mind when we're planning our post applications and deal with it at that time. Doesn't do any good to complain to your retailer. He can't control the rain out there. But we can be uh, conscious of the fact that we're probably going to have pressure in the row. This crop is popping with these warm temperatures. In the areas where the rain was more substantial, keep an eye on this crop. Some of this stuff has been in the ground for a month and if we got a crust on it, we want to make sure it gets out. Don't wait for it to be stressed before you bring the rotary hoe out. I know some of you uh, think bringing the rotary hoe out is some like social taboo in your neighborhood, but get over it. Uh, many farmers wait too long to start hoeing when its uh, effectiveness is poor. As we say here, hoe before you know. You know the farms that give you trouble or give you fits, keep an eye on them and get there sooner than later to break that crust. I've had some discussions this week about surface applied nitrogen. With hot temperatures, high winds, how much time do we have to get it worked in or rained in? Some customers worried about nitrogen loss, worked the fields too far ahead of the planter and ended up with no uh, moisture to plant into. The question is why were you so far ahead with the field cultivator? The answer is well we had to get our nitrogen incorporated so it didn't get away on us. You're better off to stabilize the urea in your solution and not lose the moisture. Be sure your stabilizer is a urease inhibitor. Talking with a couple of farmers they commented that they were sure glad they added instinct to their weed and feed program with the conditions that we're having. Problem is, instinct is not a urease inhibitor. It's a nitrification inhibitor. It does nothing for the urea that is in your nitrogen mix. And urea is the portion that will volatilize on us. When we're talking about 32 and 28% solutions, they're half urea. And you need a urease inhibitor to stop the urea portion from getting away. And that's going to be products more like agritane or urease inhibitors. Putting solution on the surface needs to be protected with the urease inhibitor. 50% uh, again of your 32% uh, is going to be urea. So let's be smart about it. Both of these inhibitors are good inhibitors, but one's a nitrification inhibitor such as Instinct and one's a urease inhibitor like Agritane. Make sure you're using the right one for what you're trying to get done out here and making sure that you're protecting against volatility. This is a favorable week for plots. If not the biggest week in the history of our company, it definitely would be number two. Thanks to our crew here and a lot of farmers that coordinated with us to make these plots work on their farms. And a big thank you goes out to all the farmers that are helping us with our crop tech plots. 
Corn here at the Corn Soybean College has gotten planted this week. Uh, we'll have a lot of great teaching infield classrooms this summer. For the people out there who are thinking about coming to our Farm Journal Corn Soybean College this summer, we have put up videos detailing a more in-depth agenda with our agronomist on our website. Go to croptechinc.com and click on the Corn Soybean College tab. We are planning an information jam-packed event and would like to welcome you to Hayworth July 24th and 25th. To stay up to date, check out our website at croptechinc.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe, keep her moving.